This week on Three Rural White Guys, we almost didn't have an episode. I'm on the road in the middle of Nebraska taking my kid to summer camp. Kellen just got back from Florida and took a side trip to Ohio. And Jacob is softball game after softball game after softball game. But we felt it's important to have an episode this week in light of the reemergence of our favorite person, former President of the United States, Donald Trump. The sound quality may be a little fuzzy, but our memory of the last five years is crystal clear. Let's get rolling. So, Kellen, you were traveling in Florida and then even Ohio for a little bit, right? Where'd you go in Ohio? So, I went to um, Brew Dog uh, Brewery. It's a it's uh, it's a hotel with a or it's a brewery with a hotel on the side of it. I think it's the only one in the U.S. If I'm not mistaken, um, but you're basically sleeping in a brewery, right? And it, it has an awesome restaurant and a uh, great outside area. They had dueling axes, uh, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, so I was just, we just did two nights up there, road trip to get out of town, uh, do a little summer fun sort of deal. Uh, yeah, just got back from Florida, which was a harrowing experience, but uh, the ride back. But, um, the trailer came detached from the back of my truck and not uh, in the middle of the highway. And uh, that was not fun. Oh, the chain pulled though? Chains held. <laughs> Perfect sound, perfect sound effect right there. <laughs> so, so Jacob, you right now, uh, the reason we hear a lot of this background noise is because you're watching your daughter's softball game. Is that right? I am, um, yeah. I was quiet there the first part, but I, I stepped out because it just started here a couple of minutes ago. It's about 90 degrees, and this is a newer complex, so there's no shade anywhere, which is super fun. Oh, um, oh. But... Uh, but we're almost through, so uh, um, and it looks like they're off to a pretty strong start. So it should be a good game. I love it. We're we're sort of living dad life right now a little bit. You know, Kellen talked about his ride home. He was actually taking his son to go visit his mom out down in Florida. Um, I'm currently here with uh, my kid. We're making our way across uh, across Nebraska right now, out to Colorado, to to go to camp for a few weeks. And uh, so we're living the dad life. And I think. I think with Father's Day coming up, I think our next episode uh, for next weekend, I think it's next weekend, right? Father's Day. Let's, why don't we do yeah, a Father's great. Day episode? I think that's a great Does that idea. sound good? Works for me. Okay. So, you know, last week, Jacob brought up a really good point about not caring about um, Trump voters and Trump supporters. And I think he's absolutely right. I think Trump is on his way out. And I think uh, they, they've lost their slim majority, sort of, you know, fake majority that they had. Uh, during the last uh, 2016 election. Um, but at the same time, Trump is, is rearing his ugly head again, and he is uh, showing that he still has a lot of for the direction and messaging of the Republican Party, which whether or not he can win or not, um, definitely, uh, definitely still commands the, the conversation and how uh, policy is written, how people vote, and so on. And uh, what are you guys' thoughts about him coming back Last uh, last week, he spoke at the uh, sort of came out of out of hibernation and was the keynote at the Republican State Convention. Well, I think first and foremost, uh, it's very clear the Republican Party is still afraid of him. Right. He still has a stranglehold on the party. Nothing happens in the Republican Party unless he wants it to happen, which which is problematic when you have all of that 
power and authority in one party given to one person. It's it's not unusual for the president and even former presidents if if your party doesn't have the the, the White House currently um, to have the last guy who did to to be the the head of your party. It's that's not unusual, but what is unusual is that person to wield so much individual power and authority over over each individual party member. I, I, it it really is it, it really is mind boggling how much how much he has that party wrapped around his finger. Yeah, I, I agree with Kellen and the, the fact that that uh, and I know I've said this before and, and I know I'm not the first or the last person to say it, but um, it, it's it's still a cult. Look at the bombshell stuff that has come out uh, just in the last week with regards to basically his illegal politicization of the Justice Department to go after his political enemies. I mean, that's that's unprecedented. That's that Nixon didn't even do that. Um, and the fact that that, uh, you know, the Republicans just don't really seem to care about that. And, and I, I'm really starting to wonder, I mean, we, I think we've been saying this realistically for the last five plus years, but I'm really starting to wonder at what point, what is their breaking point? Uh, what, what is the point that, that, you know, something finally comes out about, I mean, is it going to take him like being convicted and being sent to prison for this stuff before they finally abandon him or will he be Will he be in prison and still be influencing what the Republican Party does? That's the question that has to be answered at this point. And that's the reality that I think every Republican needs to ask themselves is what what's going to do it for you? What's going to finally convince you what the rest of us have been saying for years, that this guy is a con and a grifter and has done nothing for your party? I don't think this is it. I don't think I don't think you're going to see the Republicans. I don't think you're going to see his influence wane, despite this being absolutely, in terms of an abuse of power. You're right. Nixon didn't even do this. Nixon went after his political enemies. We had the Watergate break-in scandal, but that involved him hiring basically political operatives, right? Uh, foot soldiers in the the activist world, where where they're willing to do whatever you want them to do to play political tricks as long as you're willing to pay, right? And that's not what was going on here. Here you had Trump using the actual levers of the Justice Department, the power in the Justice Department, prosecutorial power, using the power and authority of the state to put people in prison to go after his political enemies. And the surveillance surrounding that, all of the documents and and whatever it was that they were able to obtain... You know, that that power is substantial. And to use that power to go after your political enemies is is incredible. But I really don't think, I, I think there's something else going on. I, I In terms of the mentality of the Republican Party, I, I really don't think this breaks it. I don't think this breaks his hold over the, the rest of the party. It should, but I don't think it will. You know, and it, it'll be interesting to see how the 2022 elections come out you know we always always see this bounce and i'm sure your your data will show this uh kellen with elections you know every you know two years after a presidential election there's usually a sway a swing the other way usually that if that uh president won you know uh, a portion of congress for his own party usually those uh, congressional seats go back the other direction yeah the the midterm losses for sure always happen yeah 
Right. But usually what that means is when that presidential candidate loses, the party looks inward. They figure out how they're not meeting the needs of their constituents. They, they, they come up with a new candidate. They come up with a new strategy. And here, they're just embracing the old strategy. And I'm curious to see how that election, how that will impact the election, to see if we'll see the same kind of same kind of bump you usually see for Republicans in 2022, or if it's just going to completely backfire on them. Well, you do have a handful of instances where the midterm loss didn't happen, where the president's party didn't lose seats. It almost always does happen, but a handful of instances in which it does. And I don't have that data readily available. Um, we can look that up here in a, mi- a moment, but it's been a minute. It's been a little while. I, I think there was one in in the 2000s at some point, but um, yeah, who knows? I, this might be one of those ones, one of those kind of freak off off your or unexpected election results. I, I hope so. Sure. Yeah, seriously. So, you know, the, the feedback I get online and we're seeing on our Facebook page and social media, I've heard it from friends, too, is that Trump is living rent free in our heads as if he's not doing anything. He's not spending any money before last week. He wasn't even giving speeches. Uh, we know he's going to be giving speeches all summer. He's going on a tour. But I feel like the rent's been paid in full. I feel like we've, we've overpaid on rent. And I, I think it's valuable for us to just sit back for a second and, and sort of review the last you know five years, six years really, since Trump announced his candidacy, to just talk about how bad he has been for our country and why we got riled up about him originally why we were upset after, you know, going after the elections, after the, after the insurrection. What are some of those things, guys, that, that got you, you know, that caused division between you and friends, you, you and family, things that just absolutely disgusted you about Trump, but also how bad he was for our country, for him to be in a leadership role and how bad it is for Republicans to continue having him in a leadership role. Well, well, what are right some off, of those things you guys remember? Right off the bat, I, I would just like to point out today um, with with the G7 stuff, the, the Biden uh, foreign trip going on, he's, he's meeting G7 leaders, he's meeting the Queen later today for tea, something like that, flying over to Brussels doing the Putin meeting thing. His trip right now, in the backdrop, they're, they're talking about some polling data that shows confidence worldwide in the U.S. has rebounded and returned to normal. Whereas 2020, you ask people in these part, these 12 particular countries in this one poll I was reading, you ask them if they had confidence in the U.S., 17% said they did under Trump in 2020. That number is now 75%. That switch like that is, there's obviously only one, one reason, right? So, right. I mean, right off the bat, our world standing has dramatically shifted just by changing out who was in office. Well, and and I, I want to say something with regards to the whole, you know, phrase of Trump living rent-free in our heads. I, I, I find that funny, considering the very people that say that are the same people who, every time that gas goes up, or, you know, you talk about the cost of building materials, or all of these different commodities prices, um, they're, they're quick to jump all over how it's Biden's fault. Everything's Biden's right. fault. And, and uh, you know, somewhere around 35 to 40 percent of those people are still buying into this bullshit that Trump's going to, like, still declare martial law and take back the presidency. Um, so, you know, who's living rent free in whose head? 
I guess is what I have to say to that first. Right. <laughs> um, but, but as far as what you said and the idea that the rent's been paid in full, yes, absolutely. It has, um, you know, when you, you look at the ridiculously long list, um, half of that stuff I had forgotten about <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, it was one, is one horrible item that got overshadowed by another horrible item. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how anybody with, you know, any semblance of, of decency and morality can look at that list and be like, yeah, I'm proud that guy's my, what was my president. I just, I just don't see it. And this, this blind allegiance that continues to, to be there. Absolutely. We've paid the rent on that. Um, you know, you, you now have, a movement largely started by him uh, where now you have these, you know, state legislatures all across the country that are um, probably putting out the single most targeted laws since the Jim Crow era. I mean, when you look at these voting restriction laws and you look at uh, some of the abortion laws and, and um, you know, some of the other uh, things related to like uh, transgender type stuff, they're they're very very specifically targeted things and really what they come back to is it's we've talked about it before let's own the lips let's 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 pass laws that are just really going to piss them off they're really not going to do anything good for anybody but piss them off and get under their skin Mm -hmm. and um so you know the fact that they're having to do that now um, I'm, I'd be kind of curious to know whether or not we would have this huge movement nationwide um, in these conservative leg- legislatures to pass these laws had Trump won the election. I almost feel like it's a response, a retaliatory response to him losing. Right. What, uh, what are some of those things that you've forgotten about, Jacob or Kellen? I don't have my list in front of me to read them off, but uh, just to remind our listeners just how insane it was for five years i i would say the um the charlottesville thing is the one that stood out the most to me that kind of morphed uh that issue morphed quite a bit uh in the aftermath of george floyd's murder we we kind of shifted our attention to thinking more about um police violence and and systemic racism in our institutions whereas the charlottesville comments really we, we heard echoes of them again uh, on the debate stage when he's, when he's telling the Proud Boys to stand down. But, but that, that, that really stuck with me because what he did there was create a moral equivalence between people who are literal Nazis and people who are willing to stand up against Nazis, right? And there, there's just no similarity in my mind between those two types of people um, so to say things that you like you have good people on on both sides, those kinds of comments surrounding Charlottesville, I just I, I don't understand how that wasn't enough for everybody in the Republican Party to to side with to to say um, Nazis are good people. I, 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 that was that was one that I said, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that uh, when I was going through the list. Right. They really all drive the fundamental, divisiveness part of this where families and friends are are no longer speaking to each other um i was just chatting with a friend of mine i was on a a road trip with and i had a family member um essentially they don't they had an extended period of time they they don't talk to 
uh, weren't talking to them, but uh, are now talking to him again. But j- things like that, that divisiveness where politics is driving a wedge between folks. Every single thing on this list is is doing that in, in one way, shape, or form. So I think overarching is that's that's his legacy. That's Trump's legacy. It wasn't a tax bill, which was the only thing he really did uh, with his four years. It wasn't a wall. Um, arguably, it wasn't even, his legacy isn't even going to be the destruction of the immigration system, although that's pretty close. We, we, could, we could talk about that as well. But I think his, his legacy is he, he took an already divided nation with the, with the Tea Party movement that, that started in 2010, and he, he made it way worse, made it way worse. And his legacy is always going to be, I think we're going we're gonna to see in the future, we're going to mark the Trump era as kind of a shift in American politics in some way, a dramatic shift uh, in how we think about American politics. Yeah, and, I, and, and to build on that, I, I think that in those, same, in those same veins of sort of the racial type things that he, he said, um, you know, one of the things that I, I noticed as I read through that list, uh, we should probably post this list on, on, the, the blog or whatever. Oh, sure. So people sure. can reference it. Um, but, but one thing that was really telling and especially going back to the debate season, you know, early on in 2015 and 2016 was every time that he was publicly called out for a statement that he made. The one that stands out in my mind was during the the first debates when Megyn Kelly asked him the question about his sexual misconduct and whether or not that should disqualify him from being president. Um, You know, not only did he not answer that question, um, but, you know, he took to Twitter to to basically denigrate Megyn Kelly for asking that question. And pretty much anytime somebody presented him with with a challenge, or that he ended up looking stupid afterwards, um, you know, he, he denigrated those people. And you talk about that divisiveness that you see with between family and friends. I mean, I've witnessed that personally, um, you know, with, within my own family. They regurgitate some social media fed, uh, you know, copy and paste thing that's not rooted in facts or reality. And you, you don't even in a disrespectful way you know, respond to that with what the actual facts are. And their response is not a normal rational person says, oh, I'm wrong. Or, oh, well, tell me more. You know, it engages a, a, a conversation or a discourse about whatever it is. Um, but them being proven wrong by it, um, when their reaction is to be angry or hostile or, you know, like disown you or whatever, I guess psychologically what that tells me is that they know you're right and they don't want to admit that you're right. That's a product of Trump. That's, that's because that's what he does is he, he, right. he never takes ownership for any mistake that he makes. He never apologizes for anything and he can't ever recognize that he's been wrong. And it doesn't matter whether it's on a debate stage or something as simple as misstating the projected path of a hurricane and you go to such a petty length to take a Sharpie and alter the map. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's just not rational behavior. He, he's, he's a role model, whether or not we want him to be a role model or not. Um, the president's a role model. And he started this whole thing out with the statement, you know, grab him by the pussy. 
He, he made fun of people with disabilities. He's been impeached twice and is not apologetic about it. He led an insurrection against our U.S. Capitol and denies any wrongdoing. That's all. That's modeling behavior for our children. And ultimately what it did is it gave a green light to, to white supremacists in our country to come out of the woodwork and literally go to his rallies out in the open with anti-Jew signs, with anti-people of color signs, and with no shame and, and no repercussions. And that's he, he modeled the behavior brought the racists and the sexists and the heterosexists and all these other people out of the woodwork. They they are prominent now within the Republican Party. And that's what the Republican Party can expect to continue to have as long as Donald Trump has a voice in the party. Right. And they say right. a lot of the a lot of the folks will say who, who who are saying, hey, just let him go. You know, it's fine. Our institutions held up. Right. We, we survived and he's gone and he's not coming back. I mean, A, I don't know that he's that that's true, that he's not going to come back. But <clears throat> B, I don't know that the institutions did hold, especially now that we're starting to see these stories like the Department of Justice uh, recently telling a, a whole mess of people who are in Congress and the people party family family members of these members of Congress that they had uh, they, they had obtained subpoenas to uh, essentially secretly obtain documents and, and caller logs and email logs from members of Congress and their family members. And so that's an institutions thing. That's an article that's the article uh, two branch going after the article one branch. The article one branch, the, the Congress is supposed to be the branch that says uh, we have that, that the Constitution says has oversight authority and oversight ability into what the article two branch is doing. And, and when you start getting into these situations where you're investigating the, the overseers of your operation who are constitutionally doing, doing what the Constitution says they're supposed to be doing, you know, we're getting into a, we're getting into an institution's argument. But above and beyond the Department of Justice, you also have institutions like, like the media. Like how, how, how bad of a rep does the media have right now? And how much of that is entirely Donald Trump's fault? And I think... I think it'd be dumb to not mention the 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 fact that that, in, that as an institution has fundamentally changed, and it's it had to because of because of Trump and his presidency. But but just just consider this for a moment, right? Donald Trump he really comes to prominence in terms of whispers of a presidential run in the 2012 election cycle because that was when he was running around with his birther crap, right? 2010 to 2011, 2012 that time frame. He's running around with his birther crap, and it was in. August of 2012, where Trump is essentially tweeting about anonymous sources that he has that are telling him that Barack Obama's birth certificate is a fraud. He spends the next 10 years or so essentially publicly attacking media outlets for citing anonymous sources. But that's what that's his that's his whole game. That's that's his whole pretending to be his PR agent um, and calling up news outlets and giving them rave <laughs> stories right. about himself. Um, that was his whole, that whole gaslighting idea, the idea of fake news, that even that term fake news first, first came about because it was a campaign tactic that the President Trump's 2016 campaign was engaged in, uh, essentially the spread of misinformation all over the place as a political tactic and, and, you, and, and everything that Russia was doing in that same election cycle. So you see, to prop up President Trump's campaign, but you see... It, institutions are have really taken a hit left, right, and center. And the, the Justice Department and 
the justice system, but also the um, the news media are just just a couple examples here. Um, you know, we could go on and on about just the balance of power between the executive and, and legislative branch. And I just, it's not, it's not, I think it'd be silly as a nation for us to just brush it off and say, okay, it's time to move on. Let's put it in the past because it, history has shown us that when you, when you ignore the crazy nationalist um, uh, fascists, for lack of a better term, authoritarians, when you ignore them, they, they don't just go away. They try to find a way to come back. And this guy, yeah. this guy just, he, he can't, like, he can't function normal, normally without his name being in the headlines some way. So he's, he's not just going to disappear. Right. And I, I think it'd be naive he, to ignore him. He, he's a dictator. There, I mean, he did everything he could within the, within the binds that he has within our U.S. Constitution to be a dictator. Well, if he you want to... like a dictator. He if, befriended dictators. If you want to be a dictator and you want to turn your democracy into a dictatorship, the first thing you got to do is uh, gain control over all the levers of, of prosecutorial, prosecutorial authority and, and essentially using the Justice Department as your political tool uh, is doing just that. It's using the prosecutorial exactly. ability of the state uh, to do your bidding. And that's... That's the first step down that slippery slope towards authoritarianism and th- towards dictatorship. When you have one person who has all the power, I'd add too on the fact that you know Kellen mentioned the the uh, fact that you know you've got these members of Congress and you know Trump's political rivals now being told that you know they were targets of the Department of Justice, and and here's the here's the point of that that should be the most disturbing to anybody is that 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 didn't come to light because our justice department finally fell under the biden administration that came to light because the gag orders that apple had been issued from those subpoenas expired and apple finally told those people you know that it wasn't like the it wasn't like the department of justice came forward and said oh yeah we really screwed up here i mean that was apple going to those people and saying oh by the way you know, we've been collecting all of your communications data for the last, you know, three or four years. They basically and just sent so, them an email. And that was, yeah. the, that was how they found out. And, and so, wow. you know, for the, for the Chads and Karens uh, that, you know, hate us and want to say, see, you guys are still talking about Trump six months later. Um, this is why. Because you, you, he has literally, you know, corrupted almost every segment of our government is still corrupting every segment of our government and you people don't care. Right. 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 And you'll embrace the next one that comes along and does it as long as he attacks people that you don't like. Right. Well, you know, at the end of this, I I think uh, what's, what's going to be really important here is we're in rural America, right. And we're the, we're, we're progressives out here in rural America. One of a few, um, one of the few. So I, I think it's important to, to push back on this here where where we see the misinformation hit hit the hardest right i think i think in our neck of the woods uh i think the republican strategy of lies misinformation and gaslighting i think works the best right in rural areas uh where they don't want to listen to the mainstream media or the experts or the scientists or whomever it may be they want to listen to somebody they think has their best interests in mind because they're also somebody who goes to church or 
uh, is also a white person from a rural background or or whatever their their descriptive representation is drawing them to. But but right. how do we push back on this, right? How do we how do we as a progressive voice in America, um, as part of that progressive voice in America, how do we how do we push push back on this and and make a difference so, here where where this is where Ellen, this is I wanna worst. I think that's it. That's the perfect question. And what I'd like to do is I want to run a little uh, thought experiment by both of you a little bit. Um, looking at the numbers, looking at the peer numbers of, of the coalition that is the Democratic Party, and then the the old school Reaganites and then white supremacists that have become the Republican Party, the numbers don't add up for the Republican Party, correct? I mean, uh, other than they're trying to skew the these massive election uh uh, you know, uh, laws that are keeping people from being able to vote, even then, eventually, even with those in place, the numbers still don't add up. Right. Uh, am I right on that to start with? That's a correct statement, right? What do you in mean? In terms of which numbers? They're not going to be able to continue. The numbers that continue winning the presidency. Oh, they'll, right. They'll, yes. They're going to continue to lose, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. This, this is this going to be a worse. This problem for them is going to get worse and worse. It's not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, largely, like you said, right. the numbers, they've lost a lot of the middle. So with that in mind, this is where I think we reach out to our, our rural, you know, on the fencers, our rural Republicans that are Reaganites, that are that are George Bushers, whoever they are, and say, listen, the Republican Party has chosen the losing side. And and this was their last gasp, gasp with Donald Trump in, in our democracy. If they change the democracy, that's a different question, which seems to be where Trump is headed based on everything. But as long as we have our current system in place, which is the one our founders put together a long time ago, and we believe in America and, and we're patriots in the truest sense, then they are, they're on the losing side. And right now, rural voices are not going to continue to be heard because they're on the losing side. They, even at the state level, they're slowly going to lose those as well. So we need to be part of that coalition. And right now, we're not. The rural voice is, is not part of the Democrat Party coalition. And so I would ask you, too, how do we become part of that coalition? What can we do to get a seat at the Democrat table where we can be at the table with all these other groups that the Democrats have gathered together to, to become the Democratic Party? Well, I think I think coalition building needs to be a big part of this. So you mentioned a, a big reason why the, the numbers don't look good for Republicans are simply because they're – I don't want to say they're a whole mess of, of – of groups and organizations that necessarily support Democrats. It's just, there are a whole mess of them that definitely don't support Republicans. Right. And I think, I think coalition building needs to start being, being what we're, what we're thinking about. We need to figure out how to get the average rural democratic voter more involved in the political process. It was my second time being on the second congressional district delegation call today. And what I what was really glaringly obvious to me is that the the people that are actively engaged in our at least in our state's party and at least in the second congressional district, they do not they don't they don't represent Democrats in in rural Iowa. They they represent Democrats in Iowa City, they represent Democrats in Davenport. Um and and uh, even if you even if you found a, a you know a, a moderate Democrat in in rural Iowa, if they if they 
sat in on the discussions that I sat, have sat in on these last two meetings, they would feel completely alienated. First off, I'll just say it. The Iowa Democratic Party is in shambles. Um, there seems to be no clear message coming from Des Moines. Um, there was open hostility uh, by some of the, the party leaders within the 2nd Congressional District about the lack of platform and direction for the party in Iowa. And I really think a large part of that comes from the fact that um, the, 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 the people in office obviously understand what their constituents' needs and desires are. Um, and we kind of have what is the, the, the Republicans are somewhat right. We kind of have a, a sort of this uh, radical agenda being pushed by the Democratic Party. That's what a lot of the focus on is on um, sort of that fringe left stuff, um, because that's who's in charge of the party right now. They're the ones that are politically active. And so if you want to engage the Democrats that live outside of the you know, Democratic strongholds in the state, you have to start talking about the issues that they care about. I mean, there's never has yet to be any discussion about um, jobs creation or agricultural related policies. And I mean, I know plenty of Democratic farmers, um, but it's no wonder that so many of them do support Trump and his craziness because they're looking at it going, the Democrats aren't even talking about this. Right. And, and so, so, so Jacob, break that down for me real quick. Um, you said you're, you were on a meeting for the second congressional district as a representative. Can you sort of break down what that means? Who are you representing? How does that fit in within the context of a democratic party? I'm one of two representatives for Henry County to the second congressional district. And, um, you know, part of our responsibility is to basically represent the views of the, you know, what the, what the county's party sort of decides as far as what they're, what they want as representation at that level. The second congressional district then has, you know, its party chairs that then report back to the state committee. And uh, right now it's just clear that it's, it's very disheveled. And um, I mean, you do, you have, um, you have some some pretty far left people that are are pulling the strings at least within the second congressional district, and that's immediately going to turn off, uh, you know, even a moderate Republican. You know, there's not much right. hope, and there's not much hope in in converting, you know, somebody who, you know, is maybe a a centrist Democrat or a moderate Republican to see things from your perspective. When all you want to talk about is, um, you know, the, again, the social wedge issues, you know, right. uh, we're, we're, we're again, where we have to focus on infrastructure and economic development. And that's, that's not what, that's not what our state party seems to be interested in. They're interested right. in being antithetical to the far right side of, you know, the social justice policies and, um, you know, that's not to say that that's not important. Rural Democrats don't care about that. I've said that before and I'll say it again. Most rural Democrats right. don't care about that. And that's, but that's so, where our focus has been. So a comment and then a question on top of that. So the comment would be, uh, just for our listeners, Jacob's not out here advocating one or the other, you know, get rid of the LGBTQ plus rights side and listen to rural Democrats. What Jacob is saying is both. You need to listen to real freaking Democrats. Actually take their stuff and put it on the platform as well and, and make it a priority uh, on par. 
and, and give us a place at the table. And then the, the question I'd have then, Jacob, for you, I think you're saying that. I, I'm assuming, maybe yep. not. That's, uh, but that's from that our previous exactly conversation. what I'm saying. Perfect, perfect. So the question then is, is, is Jacob, how did you get elected to become a representative in this capacity? <laughs> um, well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I happened to show up to our county meeting one morning and, um, and uh, basically nobody else really wanted to do it. So I agreed to do it. Um, now, I mean, you knew exactly where I was going with that. And that, that's it right there is Democrats or even Republicans that are don't have a party anymore. Show up to your Democratic committee. They're begging in rural America. They're begging for people to show up at their meetings. They, I mean, no one shows up and you will automatically have a voice and, and no one volunteers to these things. You will automatically be able to have a voice in the direction of the party. But we have to get off our butts and actually go to these meetings and volunteer for these these opportunities. And I think that's the perfect example of how we can get a place at the table is simply by showing up. Yep. And I and that's that's what I've that's what I've always said is that you know if you're not happy with the way things are, then get involved and try and change it. And that's a you know that was that was my reasoning for showing up to that that meeting in the first place was, you know, I felt like our local party had become stagnant and I don't, I don't want to, I know some of them are our listeners and I don't want to necessarily offend them. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's the normal thing for a small town to sort of get stuck in the, um, well, this is just the way we've always done it routine. And I kind of felt like that's where we were. Um, but, but it's, it's even, (laughs) it's even worse than I thought when you realize that, that, uh, while things haven't necessarily been stagnant at the, you know, the the congressional district level or the state level, um, it's no wonder that things are in disarray because, uh, you know, the the county the county parties are still a little bit old school and a little bit more, you know, moderate Democrat. And the you know the state on the state side of it, it's it's gone pretty far left, and I can see how that right. has been a frustration and a turnoff for people. Right. And I think a lot of the, uh, the, you know, when I look at Henry County where we're at and, and the leaders that are there and have been there and holding down the fort, uh, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll tell you it has been relatively stagnant. And the thing they've been waiting on is, is, is a new generation, a generation after that, to come through and actually get involved because uh, we haven't. And, and that's on us. That's on our generation. That's on the millennial generation. Sorry. That's on my generation. It's on you guys' generation um, to, to get involved and uh, – and we have it. And so I think they'll be the first to point out is like we're stagnant because people aren't showing up. And I, if anything, Trump gave us that. It got people to start showing up and paying attention. I, I think we should at least uh, I just wanted to tack on to that. I think we should at least use this as an opportunity, use Trump and the kind of four or five years of trauma we've all collectively been through uh, to, to use this as the, the rallying call. Hey, this is serious. This this crap is serious, and and this guy is serious. Look at the damage he did in four years, and now he's talking about, hey, I might even just run for the house so I could be speaker. How would you? Could you imagine oh that God. if Donald Trump is speaker of the house? <laughs> I don't want to imagine that, Kellen. Why do you? Why do you bring that up? <laughs> like I don't even like. Just would nothing ever happen? Like they just would never meet? I don't even know what that would look like. That would just be chaos. Right. And so, so as a, as a final little wrap it up, uh, 
I want everybody just to all our listeners to take a look at what's actually going on now. We have we have a real president who wants to be president, who's in it for America, in it right now. And I'm not just pandering right now. That this is it's this is how he's operating. This is how his administration is operating. Whereas Trump, he passed one bill that that supported his corporate cronies in 2018, lower taxes on corporations. And by the way, all our taxes are going up in 2021 with that same bill. And uh, but that said, this is we're actually doing stuff. We're in the middle of a of an infrastructure negotiation right now for the first time in in five years on bridges and roads and all those other infrastructure stuff we talked about. We already passed the American Rescue Plan that was way beyond just sending checks to Americans. It had other pieces of it that are helping rebuild our communities. And he's pushing all these other things that actually have an impact on us in rural America, despite us not supporting the Biden you know, administration with our votes. And he's still doing it. And if we really want to get stuff done and we really want to place the table, we, we got to join that coalition more actively and openly. Well, I think that's the message, Mike. I think the we're getting stuff done and look at all the awesome things that are happening and and highlight those successes. And we, who was it we were talking to a little bit ago who said Democrats don't take victory laps? I think it's I think right. we need to be doing victory laps and and celebrating the victories when when they happen. All right. Well, when our when our listeners come back uh, and they hear us uh, next week, we're going to celebrate that. Perfect. And maybe we'll get some good guests there. Love Perfect. It. Yeah, I'm going to go right. take care of this toddler before he kills me. Sounds good. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you going to call when you're yep. busy. All yep. right, Mike. Guys, all right, we'll see you. Take care, y'all. Right. Yep, bye. bye. Thank you all for being patient with us as we put together a late episode from the road as we're taking care of our of all of our various dad duties. Uh, please check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. And we hope you'll join us again next week as we celebrate dads across the world.